Welcome to the Disney at Work podcast, bringing magical ideas to improve your world from the happiest place on earth. Your host is J. Jeff Kober, author, speaker, and consultant to organizations around the globe that look to bring best of Disney ideas to their workplace. Welcome to episode four of the Disney at Work podcast, where today we are going to discuss Disney behind the scenes. Uh, Before we start talking about our subject today, I wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping. I am David Zanola. I am the moderator of the Disney at Work podcast, and we wanted to make sure that we remind everyone that at the end of every episode, after Jeff and I sign off, there will be a Disney at Work trivia moment. If you know the answer to the trivia question that is at the end of that specific episode, you can email us at podcast at disneyatwork.com, and then you will be entered into a drawing for a free copy of Jeff's book, The Wonderful World of Customer Service at Disney. Second item of housekeeping is we do uh, ask that if any of you are listening, we would love for you to go to our iTunes show page and either rate and or review the podcast. The best way that we can get the word out about this show and the lessons that Jeff has to offer is by uh, those ratings and reviews popping up on iTunes. So now that that housekeeping is out of the way, I would like to bring in as we start our discussion today about Disney behind the scenes, Jeff Kober, the uh, owner and operator of DisneyAtWork.com. Hello, Jeff. Welcome. Welcome. Good to good to hear your voice, David, and good to uh, be back on our fourth podcast. So uh, we got a long ways to go here, but yeah, we're kind of starting to get a little bit of a groove in here. Today's podcast, I must say it right up front, contains a lot of spoilers. So if you do not want to have the magic spoiled for you, this is not your podcast. Um if you don't want the magic spoiled for your children, this is not the podcast. We go into the the details behind the magic and how that supports the guest experience on stage. So uh, it's a very exciting. We got some great places we're going to talk about today. We decided we would do a sort of top 10 places we've been behind the scenes, uh, particularly at Walt Disney World, though we might uh, go to a couple other places, but, um, but to kind of talk about those places and... What are the messages from um, those locations? So uh, let's get started with our our number one choice. Why don't you go first, David, and uh, I'll build off of it. So the first thing that I discussed or I added to my behind-the-scenes bucket list, if you will, of places that I enjoy going backstage is uh, the Utilidors. So the Utilidors, for those who are not aware, brief background, they are basically, the easiest way people refer to them are a tunnel system underneath the Magic Kingdom. However, they are not actually a tunnel because those corridors, those utility corridors, make up the first floor of the Magic Kingdom. You are able to visit these corridors primarily on the Keys to the Kingdom tour at the Magic Kingdom. And this is where all of those behind-the-scenes operations take place. And Jeff, it seems like when you think about going into the Utilidors, that it's almost you know this, this magical other dimension that you see and you think that all these fascinating things are going to be happening. But what actually makes it more fascinating than the expectations are when you get down there... 
it's business as usual. It just seems like a general workplace with every with lockers where people might store their bags. A warehouse district. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is absolutely the most utilitarian location that you could possibly find. There is top forty pop music playing overhead instead of the Disney background music. There's employees on their break. Uh, it is just a place where you can understand the importance of how keeping some of those things out of the sight of guests. Uh, can be beneficial as well. So, you know, this is Disney's worst kept secret is the quote-unquote tunnel underneath the Magic Kingdom, which again is not a tunnel. But um, back in 19, I want to say 1974, my gift for Christmas was this book by Christopher Finch called The Art of Walt Disney. And in it, they actually showed pictures of Snow White and and Mickey heading down the Utilidor on a on a little um, cart, and um, they talked about it extensively in the early days because it was part of the innovations of tomorrow that they were likening to Walt's vision of a community of tomorrow, an Epcot of tomorrow. And so um, all the systems down there and all the facilities were part of that messaging of, of a new place that they, that, of a new um, experience that they were uh, they were creating. So when I became a cast member, I'm telling you, the minute I got my IDs and I could go there, I headed straight to the Utilidor and walked it. Of course, I remember walking it. I thought to myself, I'm going to have to look like I'm official walking through here. You know, So I was trying to look, you know, kind of keep a step in my pace and walk as you know, quickly, so I didn't look like I was clueless as to where I was going. And believe me, you get lost down there if you do not where know where it's going. Uh, there are many little corners uh, of that place, and um, and uh, it's it is quite an experience down there. There, unfortunately, the tours only take you through a section that is essentially under the front half of Main Street, so you don't see what it's like under Tomorrowland or Liberty Square, Frontierland, and you especially don't see it at its at its head, which is really underneath uh, Fantasyland. That's where a lot of the key services have been over the years. Um, but that said, it is an amazing place. Now, you chose Magic Kingdom Utilidors. I actually wanted to build off of that and say that a lot of people know about the Utilidors at the Magic Kingdom, but they don't know that there are Utilidors elsewhere in Walt Disney World. The biggest of the Utilidors is actually underneath Epcot. Um, and it's not under all of Epcot. Most of what is services the backstage for Epcot kind of goes around, if you think of Epcot as a figure eight, most of the backstage services actually come behind that figure eight. But there is a portion of Utilidor that actually enters in on one section of the entrance of the park, and I, I don't want to go into too much detail for security purposes, but they come down and then they divide and they essentially go underneath uh, what has been interventions or communicore, depending on how far you go back. And um, there is, they are more utilitarian than even the Magic Kingdom. And frankly, a lot of people, even people at Epcot, don't even know that they exist. They're really used more for uh, maintenance than they are. They use, uh, um, Mouse Gears does use it extensively for bringing in and out retail and, and kind of storing and prepping retail. Um, there is a section on the other side, which is kind of on the far, far end 
of this tunnel. And I remember going down there one day and I thought it was like mid-afternoon, but I'm telling you, it felt like a a weird ghost town. Uh, you know, if, if The Walking Dead had a location <laughs> to take a break at Disney and they were cast members, this would be the place. Nobody moved. They all had their head down on a table and they were, this was kind of the corner that oh, the people who were like, be, not between, not on breaks, but like between work shifts, you know, and going from one shift to another were taking, it was uh, kind of a weird, kind of a weird, funny place. So there's actually Utilidor underneath Epcot, again, servicing a lot of the things. Another place where there are Utilidors is under some of the resorts, hotels. Um, again, I say underneath because, again, nothing's underneath because of the swamp factor of Florida. They're really the f ground floor. But if you can imagine Wilderness Lodge uh, and that great atrium area, there is a major uh, infrastructure, utilidor infrastructure that runs underneath that, that supports housekeeping and room uh, food and beverage and so many other facilities. So um, same thing as I recall under Yacht Beach or one of the two big infrastructure um, that that it sits kind of on the first floor and really most of, most of what you see is on, resides on a second floor um, when you go into the lobbies of those hotels and places and uh, and it's a again it's all very utilitarian it's for the purposes of supporting the guest experience on stage so that's our first choice uh, first one we want to talk about second one talk about uh, what uh, number two is for you? So my second one is uh, one that may not seem to be very exciting uh, to the general public, but if you do participate in a Keys to the Kingdom tour at the Magic Kingdom, you actually get to go and uh, if not stand outside, sometimes you actually get to step inside very briefly. Uh, some of the warehouses backstage that house the uh, parade floats. Uh, the last time I had toured was last year. The Main Street Electrical Parade was still at the Magic Kingdom. And that is where they housed the Main Street Electrical Parade floats and basically parked them and kept them in shelter. And it was just interesting to see how simplistic and how uh, streamlined everything was. They were all just parked right in a row. You could see some of the, the folks that were working on them to make sure that the lights were uh, kept in working order and that they were clean. You could see some of the doors that had been opened so you could get those little secrets of where the drivers sit in those floats. Again, it wasn't anything necessarily that was mind-blowing. It was just interesting to see how no matter we see the magic being created in the parks, that there is a very specific method to that magic behind the scenes. What, what is your number two? Um, and, and let me just build off that. I've sometimes been backstage and I'll see that uh, parade rehearsals going on back there. So I remember one occasion, um, the one for with the uh, the um, ghost host individuals who um, have the shovels in the Haunted Mansion um, parade float sequence, mm -hmm. actually back there practicing and kind of doing their thing, maybe with or without costumes, you know, um, but it's all it's all there to um, you know uh, prep. Um, mine is a totally different uh, location. Let me say that there is a location. I won't divulge the actually where it is on property. I don't think that's appropriate. But there is a strategy and a plan and a location and facility by which Walt Disney World runs emergencies, particularly 
events like a hurricane and where they can monitor storm systems and they can monitor what's going on throughout the parks and so forth. And it's, it's kind of like their own mission control center. And it's in a place you wouldn't um, expect it. It's a very uh, uh, nameless kind of facility. But, um, but it, uh, even back then when I was there, uh, which you know, was a good 15 years ago, um, it was a high-tech facility um, dedicated to really making sure that the guests were cared for in the case of, of an emergency. And uh, they had made a significant investment to, um, to support that back there. So, um, so I put that as number two location. I, again, supporting the guest experience in this situation in a, in a strategic centralized place. So number three for both of us actually are related, and this uh, was when I make up made up my list. We had not spoken ahead of time, but both our number threes are related to Splash Mountain in Frontierland at the Magic Kingdom. Uh, I enjoy seeing again another simple backstage thing to see, but I actually enjoy seeing the uh, water holding tank on the back side of Splash Mountain. Not that there's anything necessarily secretive about it, but just to understand the magnitude of how quickly they can drain that attraction of water and then also fill it up at the beginning of the morning uh, is just something that you really don't understand even when you're looking at the outside of that attraction, how much water and what kind of a process that would actually take. So that's my number three. Your number three is Splash Mountain related as well, isn't it? It is, um, and it's actually walking a backstage area uh, on the other side of that um, that actually houses all the computers for Splash Mountain and, um, and helps take care of running all the audio control systems and lighting systems and technical systems that, that go with it. It's, it's, a, it's, a big it's a facility that's just right next to the attraction. Uh, and I, I want to mention this because in my number two example, I talked about a central place um, where where all of Walt Disney World is kind of looked at during an emergency. Um, in the early days, there was a location in the Utilidor, and it's still there, but it, it's a very different facility than it was. Um, but it was a location, a centralized location by which they would run all of the Magic Kingdom. And much of the um, animatronic systems and so forth were ran from there. The same kind of system was set up with Epcot, and, and many people may have remembered that because it was actual attraction you looked down into called Computer Central. And, um, and it, they had a couple of different shows over time, but essentially the gist of it was actually seeing the centralized backstage area of, um, of uh, Epcot, um, which is the same thing over at Magic Kingdom. As the technology has evolved, it's no longer as centralized as it once was. And a lot of actual... Uh, the facilities are ran from the attractions as opposed to a centralized location. So um, this is an interesting aspect, again, is, is whether or not you want your backstage operations to be centralized or do you want them to be more accessible to the actual attractions and locations where you service them. So it's kind of this, this um, evolution that's actually gone on in the parks. But, um, but that's the thing that, that kind of stood out about my experience at Splash Mountain. Um, step number four uh, is still in that same area for you. Talk about uh, the parade. 
Yes, yeah, so we actually enjoy uh, whenever I bring my class and we go on a Keys to the Kingdom tour, which again is the big ticket backstage tour at the Magic Kingdom. We enjoy uh, watching or going to the parade step-off location. Basically, if you are walking towards uh, Splash Mountain and you look right to your left of the Splash Mountain Bridge, you will see a very, very, very wide gate. And if you walk, uh, if you are with a tour guide and you are able to go back past that gate, uh, there will be a, a, a yellow stripe, which those in the theater industry, if you've ever did theater in, in high school or community theater, we used to refer to as a sight line. I remember in theater productions, our director always used to tell us, if you can see the audience, they can see you. And this sight line is where uh, cast members that are participating and performing in the parades basically know once they get close to that line, they are in the view of guests. And even a little bit beyond that, there's an interesting aspect where you can see it's almost uh, like a, a person version of a carport where there's a little area where uh, the the performers can sit and rest before they have to go out and there's fans blowing on them if they need to during the summer months. And it's just a real interesting spot to see where these performers get ready because by the time we see them, the show is going, their smiles are on, they're dancing, uh, they're singing, they're doing all of these other things. But when we see where they get ready, it's just as if you and I would be sitting waiting at a bus stop. It's really not much similar. And it's interesting to see that juxtaposition of, uh, on stage versus backstage. What about your number four, Jeff? Why don't you Why don't you actually go to number five as well and talk about the step down then on the other end? Okay, so then at the other end of uh, down by Main Street, basically there's those two large uh, gate doors to the right. If you're looking at the uh, fire station, right to the right of them, where all the parade and the car barn exit the car barn, correct. So if you look back, if you if you go back there, and again, sometimes tours can get you back that way, you can actually see where they step down. It doesn't really look much different, um, but again, it's interesting to see, first of all, where you are in proximity to the back of the park. Everything is so squished back there, but then you get to see a little bit of that difference of uh, now instead of being uh, on stage and being performing, uh, if some of them do decide to stop their performances as they get off, it's just just very interesting to see those different views of those parade performances. Often, by the way, we talk about these tours. Um, oftentimes, we'll bring groups of ours through there and utilize the tours that are available there because um, uh, they do take you to some uh, some of these spaces, not all of them, but a few of these spaces. And uh, and then and then we bring the business lessons uh, to them as part of that experience. Um, so my four and five, I had the great experience of stepping one day onto the actual stage of the Hall of Presidents. And I got to tell you, that just blew me away. Um, it's not that I physically saw something that the guest doesn't see. It's just that from up standing up there, it is a different view. For one thing, you notice that the presidents are staged on different kind of stair steps. Um, so you kind of sense that this fairly wide platform to allow all the presidents to be assembled. The fact of the matter is, is there's like 14 inches between stair steps. It is a very narrow um, stage. Huh. And I was surprised how clustered they really are in terms of width. They're, they're stretched out in terms of length, but they are very close in terms of width. The other aspect of it is, is is you know they work on different hydraulics and 
mechanical features and so forth. And so oftentimes, even in their resting position, uh, all of a sudden something moves. And I tell you, it freaks you out to be among them when somebody makes a move. Um, but it, it is a very cool thing. And you, you, cannot, uh, you cannot begin to appreciate the level of detail that goes into the Hall of Presidents and what's involved there. Um, Roosevelt's leg has a brace on it, just as he would have worn in real life. The tailoring on many of these costumes are done just as the president's suits would have been tailored back then. It, there is a lot of detail in that. It's a very cool, very cool um, scene. My number five takes me to a whole different place. Actually, I'm going to hold off on that one. I'm going to talk about Pirates of the Caribbean. As number five, and one of the places I had a chance to visit was um, backstage at the Pirates of the Caribbean. Now I've been backstage to a lot of places. I have to say, and Pirates of the Caribbean, which is celebrating its 60th anniversary at Disneyland, is my favorite attraction of all time in all Disney parks. And so I thought that the coolest thing would be to step backstage at the Pirates of the Caribbean. And I have to tell you, that was the most disappointing moment of my entire life because the facades are so, I mean, I thought I had put together better set pieces in high school in our theater. And it looks good up front. It does the job. Um, one of the very weird things, and I cannot quite describe how this works, but when you go through the initial cave scene where you go by the skeletons and everything and you look like you're in a cave, uh-huh. Um, this is gonna this is gonna blow people away, but uh, that is actually most of that is an aluminum foil structure hung up by wires. It is not a concrete. Uh, the pieces down below and hitting the water is concrete, but actually above you is one big piece of aluminum foil <laughs> that's been crinkled and painted black. Hmm. And I tell you, I thought I I just. It just, there is a, there's a reason why for maintaining the magic for your guests, we do not take people to certain places. And that is one of those places where you would be so disappointed to see. Also, I remember that same location, actually where you see it backstage is the same location where the boats come back up and then are cycled back in to, mm-hmm. to pick up guests. You'd be surprised how little that dip is in, that, in, um, in Walt Disney World's uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. I tell you, I was, I was so disillusioned by the experience. I think I needed therapy at the end of that. Um, now, <laughs> contrast that with your next one. Tell us, um, tell us about the Haunted Mansion. If if I were ever to have to list one of the most uh, amazing experiences that I've had as a Disney Parks fan, uh, I would probably say that a bucket list item was always to somehow. Uh, get backstage at the Haunted Mansion. And so uh, last year on a tour, it is officially titled the From Marceline to Magic Kingdom Tour. It's a storytelling tour that they do at the Magic Kingdom. One of the stops that is often on that tour, and they're very cautious to tell you that it's not offered all the time because of scheduling and other things going on. Usually only for youth. Okay, well you actually get to go on this tour backstage at the Haunted Mansion and get to stand underneath the attraction and watch 
the lights going on and off to create the Pepper's ghost effect uh, during the ballroom scene. And again, it is one of these things that is a very simple effect that they're doing, right? There's not necessarily any uh, new ground being broken to the Haunted Mansion, but that's no almost part of its charm. No going on in this puppy. It is Correct. A simple. It is like looking into into the glass dark, you know, uh, into the glass at, when it's dark and seeing your reflection. It is, it is essentially that, but the attention to detail to make that simple thing look good is so cool. It's, it, it is phenomenal. And they're very cautious. You know, there are lines uh, with glow tape on the ground to make sure you know that if you step over these lines that potentially you could actually be seen on the other side of the glass. Uh, and so it's just a, it's a very, very neat experience for Disney fans that I highly recommend to any Disney Parks fans. If you have the opportunity to take this tour to get to go back there, do not wait. Go on this tour because just for those five to ten minutes you are down there, it is something that you can really see behind the scenes in a way that most other people do not get to. Very few do people do get to see it. At one point, they were only doing um, youth a certain set of youth programs through it. But um, but I, I completely agree with you. Unlike my Pirates of the Caribbean experience, even though it was kind of behind the scenes at, at the Haunted Mansion, it was a wow in terms of the attention to detail um, on the costuming of these, these ghosts that are dancing around and the color tones that they had chosen to make it look like they're a ghost but still bring a little color into it. It's just so many on so many levels it was it is brilliant it is a brilliant experience now my number six that i kind of switched off um is takes us to a whole different park it is backstage at phantasmic and uh that is um you know i i hear everybody talk about well phantasmic isn't as good as disneyland and all that whether you agree or disagree with that let me tell you there's a lot there's a lot of effort, a lot of attention, and a lot of detail put into creating that show. The costuming area um, and the costumes alone, uh, they had two sets for Belle. And I'm telling you, I thought her dress was in the $20,000 range. It was so off the chart. I, I can't, don't quote me on that price, but it was so off the chart, the price on that costume. And you have to have two sets for your performance, just in case something tears or something's wrong and so forth. Beautiful costumes, beautiful attention to detail on those. Underneath the island, um, there's some really interesting effects. The, the ability to um, make Maleficent a sore is done with one of these typical, um, I, I don't know how to describe it, but it's a, it's a construction lift. You know, that you would use in a warehouse to actually go up. Like a cherry uh, picker? Automated, yeah, cherry picker. But, but you know, it's just, it's not, it's a vertical cherry picker that's, you know, doesn't have an arm extending out to the side. And, you know, that's essentially what it is. Dra draped with costumes, you know, all around it. Um, but um, but there's a lot of attention to the safety aspect of that and, and to the other performers under there. The Pocahontas scene, if you'll recall, um, uh, the men with John Smith are firing rifles. Those are real rifles. They are real colonial style rifles. They are used with blanks, but they are they actually have to be checked in and checked out. They are treated like an, a firearm. 
and uh, again, just so many levels of detail, so much co collaboration and watching them. And I got to see this. I got to watch them kind of move into position, move out of position, change from one um, scene in the show to another scene. That is, it really will. I, I wish everybody could see it only because it would make you appreciate how much effort goes into making that show um, fantastic. So that's uh, one of my just favorite places is, uh, is that location. So uh, on to both of our number seven, we actually both go to the same park uh, for our number seven choices. Mine is the opportunity, and I don't know how often it is offered anymore, what tours you could take to do it, but the opportunity to go backstage to see the mechanism uh, that is the American adventure and how detailed that is and how that system is set up. Uh, and again, there's just that large screen there, which looks like a movie theater, but then under that screen is basically the best way to describe it is a is a chest of drawers that you pick, picture as you pull that chest out. Other scenes come up, they slide down, the drawer pulls out a little further, and it's not there's not necessarily anything secretive about that. It is theater technology at its finest. But how smooth that runs and how those animatronics appear lifelike and realistic when you are in the audience. And when you are back there, you get a very, very clear understanding of why you have to walk up or travel up so far to get into that auditorium because of exactly how much is sitting underneath you. And that's one of my favorite shows to see. Uh, I mean, it's the, the only thing that might beat that show for me at Epcot is going to see the Voices of Liberty perform ahead of time. Uh, yours actually takes us out of World Showcase and has us visit a location in Future World. What's that? Um, yeah, just so we're not selling tours here for Disney, but um, but the one I, I that has been going on for a number of years is is called the Backstage Magic, and it goes to the Magic Kingdom, it goes to Central Shops, it goes to Epcot, uh, even to the studios, and it can vary depending on the tour and so forth. But but that has been a uh, that is very cool behind the American Adventure. And um, again, the attention to detail, the thought behind creating that, um, there is no floor to that stage. Everything comes up and into position uh, from a train. And um, it, it is so totally, um, the, the thought, the thinking behind it is so totally unique. Um, I wanted to take us above uh, the tank at Living Seas where uh, we used to take a lot of groups back there. And there is a tremendous team of um, people in um, who really know um, ocean life and who really appreciate marine life and who um, really ma makes the living seas, uh, an amazing experience. And I tell you what, a lot of people kind of dismiss the living seas. If you haven't seen it lately, you ought to go back there and see it. The, 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 um, there are four dolphins that have been in there recently. And usually there was never more than one or two. And, um, and the, the array of sharks and turtles and, and, um, uh, rays, that are in the tank it they really they do a great job but at the top of the tank is where you learn to appreciate how big that tank is it is enormous and everybody says well it's so big that you can fit spaceship earth in it and swim around it and that is true and that is very cool 
What also is very cool at the Living Seas is not necessarily above the tank, but behind the Living Seas, there are a whole bunch of efforts that go on behind the scenes in terms of rescuing manatees and fish and really taking care of different species back there. Uh, there's a lot of separated tanks. There's a whole facility to clean the water in and out. Um, they maintain and monitor not just um, the, the tanks there, but the tanks over at Disney's Animal Kingdom, the Shark's Reef that used to be a Typhoon Lagoon that just left, even the Koi Fish Pond at Epcot. They, they're actually, they do a lot of monitoring of all of these um, aquariums, not just the living seas. This is a this is a very professional group of people who are really um, big on on uh, saving our oceans, on preserving sea life, and uh, you walk away if if you ever have an opportunity to see the bigger experience, you walk away with a great appreciation of the amount of time and the amount of investment the Walt Disney Company puts into um, into creating a terrific marine uh, life experience. So number eight, uh, it stays in the same park, actually not a, a massive walk away, I suppose, depending on where you are going to enter. But uh, what I really enjoy seeing, and it's one of my favorite places backstage at Epcot whenever we go uh, with my collegiate students, is to see the Epcot Cast Services building. Uh, it is, again, probably to me, feels very similar to the Utilidors at Magic Kingdom and that it's a very... Uh, plain uh, building. I guess there probably is more decoration on the walls and, and things going on at Epcot Cast service, Services and there would be at the Utilidors in the Magic Kingdom. But it's the Utilidor version at Epcot in terms of what uh, cast members use to get to their shifts to go and there's a very large stretch of lockers. Uh, the coolest thing that there is for them to show you, and it's a very simple thing, but it's uh, neat nonetheless, is there is a very long hallway that cast members go through that has all different uh, pieces of carpet on it. And as they will tell you, uh, if you take one of the tours or if you read any behind the scenes books about Epcot, that carpet is there to be in a place where it's going to get a lot of foot traffic. And so the folks in operations will use that to test different carpet colors, different carpet types, different carpet textures and materials, because they figure if it's going to have that much foot traffic on a daily basis, like Epcot does with its cast members, then that's a pretty good uh, gamut of, of tests to run it through before they decide to use it in a public guest area. There are vending machines where you can buy supplies that you might need. Uh, you know, for if you need to shave, you can grab, uh, you can use a vending machine and get a razor and some shaving cream, uh, all of those other kind of things. And there are other offices there that you can visit as well. But it's a really interesting opportunity, again, for somebody for me that studies organizational uh, type subjects, to see all of the little things that this is a real workplace and we visit it as guests and we are there because we love to get away and we enjoy participating in the music and the attractions and the characters but it is a workplace and there's a lot of things behind the scenes to make that go on um, i don't know if you have any thoughts about that and then you will lead us into a very similar area at a different yeah. park yeah, no, no, uh, you really get an appreciation for the world's largest working wardrobe and the amount of effort it goes into to costume the cast members. And I love simple services that are provided there, like a barbershop. Um, again, making those facilities accessible to your employees so that they can 
you know, you, you have an expectation that they're going to um, have a certain appearance and have that look and feel. And these kinds of things help to um, help to support the cast in, 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 uh, in their ability to deliver, um, look the part and deliver a great guest experience. I'm actually using Animal Kingdom cast services, but I'm actually going back in time to when Disney's Animal Kingdom opened up. The thinking at the time when they built this park, because the park is so large and most of the backstage services surround the outer shell of that park. And so they actually built cast services about half a mile away from the park. And with the idea that cast members at that time, this is before cast members could even take their costume home or get costumes and bring it in and wear, wear it um, to work. But um, the idea was that they would check in at cast services, get on a bus, and then be transported to their, to their location. Before Disney's Animal Kingdom opened up, because there were so many things that needed to be done in the weeks and months prior to a park opening, they just said, hey, and because guests weren't there, they said, hey, cast members, just park right in the front of Disney's Animal Kingdom. And um, so you don't have to, ha- ha- you know, board a bus and we can get you right to work. Well, when that came to a conclusion and the park opened and the guests were now parking in the front and the cast members had to park a half mile away, the, the cast members were immediately like, you got to be kidding me. We got to park this far away and then you're going to bus us in, which actually is done at um, at the Magic Kingdom too. The only difference at Magic Kingdom is that it, it kind of drops you behind Fantasyland and then you kind of get to your location fairly quick. The bus for the cast members goes all the way around the back end of the safari and um, Asia and so forth. It takes a long time to make the loop. And so cast members complained and uh, they finally just changed it. And now if you notice the cast members are parking very close to the front of the the park. And um, they've actually moved most of those services out behind, um, uh, kind of between where the Safari is, Festival of Lion King, and where Avatar is going in. But but it was one of those lessons they learned, you know, you want to make these facilities accessible to to your employees and and make it easier for them to do business um, and not to have to spend a huge amount of time just simply clocking in. So on our home stretch here, uh, my number nine is actually related to something that as a Disney Parks fan is something that I kind of yearn for. Uh, This is, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but one of my dreams is to be evacuated uh, during the middle of the Haunted Mansion. (laughs) I I was, I am on the Haunted Mansion and my kids even know nowadays or my 11 year old will be on the ride and they'll stop. And I'm assuming it's because, you know, they're loading somebody with a disability on or off. So it'll only stop for 20 seconds or so. But he'll say, is this it? Dad, is this it? Is this it? And I say, oh, I hope so. And of course it never is. And we start moving. (laughs) Well, um, I never have gotten evacuated off of the Haunted Mansion. But when I was in Disneyland for their 60th uh, last year in September, we were lucky enough, I guess, if you want to call it that, to actually get evacuated off of the middle of the Indiana Jones attraction. And it wasn't necessarily fascinating to, from a perspective of seeing everything with the lights on. Uh, what was more fascinating was to see operationally how they handled the evacuation. 
So uh, the cast member, basically, they, they, you know, there would be many announcements, and then the lights came on, and so we knew something was up when the lights came on. And then uh, another announcement came, and then a cast member basically walked up and said, "There will be. Is everybody okay? Does anybody need any help?" And when we all said we were fine, because it was a fairly young group on that on that uh, that vehicle, they said, "Somebody will be back with you in a moment. Please hang tight and stay safe." Well, then after I don't know, it was probably 10, 15 minutes or so. It took a while. They came and basically every all of the guests kind of lined up as if in a follow the leader type of uh, setup. And they would help with a little stool, get each person off, and then ask you to stand against the wall. And they would tell you that the floor on this attraction is a little sticky so that the tires could, could, could move a lot better. And they would just follow the leader, line you up, and then take you to the next car. You waited while they got those people off. And then they walked you out of the attraction. And it was just interesting to see how smooth of an operation even something going wrong is at a Disney park. Have you ever had experience with that? Yeah, most people don't know that they actually practice these kinds of things in the middle of the night. So the cast members know how to do an, uh, an evacuation and how to get them off. Um, I have not actually um, walked the Indiana Jones Adventure. I have walked the Haunted Mansion. Um, and and probably, probably not that great, actually. One of my favorite places to walk is the Great Movie Ride, mm. which, like the universe of energy... And, and probably like Indiana Jones, you sit up pretty high in those ride vehicles. Same thing as the Tower of Terror. So when you actually step down off of them, you actually are quite down low. Um, that you don't realize how high you are um, sitting up in those, um, those vehicles. But um, that, is, that is an interesting thing. Now, I, I go back to Epcot for mine. And um, this used to be part of one of their tours, too. It no longer exists, I believe. But for those who remember um, Body Wars, which is essentially the same as the simulator at uh, Star Tours, they actually had dedicated a space at Body Wars to be able to step into this glass booth and actually watch um, that simulator move. And let me tell you, it moves. These things, those simulators are cranking up and down and backwards and forwards. And, and, and of course, a lot of people thought Body Wars was a lot more jolty than, um, than the original Star Tours. But uh, it, was, it was an impressive, I believe there are six arms to help move that simulator. And, um, and in fact, as I recall, we had to, we had to step in it and... Or we had to wait until the guests had stepped into the simulator and then we stepped into this booth and then they turned the lights on so we could view the simulator and then we stepped out and they turned the lights off so the guests so that they wouldn't see all the behind the scenes magic that you would see if the lights were turned on but i gotta tell you 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 just do not appreciate how much it may not be that star tours or back in the day of body wars was your favorite attraction but I'm telling you the amount of effort that goes into the maintenance and uh, and care of these vehicles and attractions is um, is pretty pretty overwhelming. Let's go to our number ten. So my number ten is these are our best. I think. Yeah, well, and this is one that I actually don't know. Speaking of the uh, wonders of life, you know, the the body war simulator most likely not being on tours anymore since it's no longer in use. 
I'm not yeah. necessarily sure that you can uh, get into this building that I'm going to mention other than at the specific time of the holiday season. And that's the, I don't I forget the official name of it, but I refer to it as the holiday services building. The holiday services. Okay. So mm-hmm. basically what happens is this is where they keep primarily all of the decorations for the Christmas season. At least that's when I visited it. And so you can walk through these huge warehouses and see these rows kind of like in you know Raiders of the Lost Ark. You can see all of these different canisters with the ornaments labeled for the different resorts. And you can see the massive, massive Christmas trees that are just stacked up in their little pieces. And in order to get to that portion of the warehouse, you have to very quietly and very politely walk past, I would say, 10 to 15 cast members with goggles on and gloves who are going through and checking individually each light on a strand of lights that will be used somewhere. And they are doing this. I When I did it, when I took the, the, the Backstage Magic tour, that long seven-hour tour that this was on, it would have been uh, about seven or eight years ago, and it was in March. So in March, they were already working on making sure that these lights were all being prepared. I don't believe it's part of the Backstage Magic Tour anymore, but now there is a Yuletide Services Tour or something to that effect where you can go and see that building and then take a tour of some of those Christmas decorations. If you have the opportunity, again, as Jeff said, we're not trying to sell tours, but unfortunately, these are some of the only ways you can see some of these backstage areas. It is really, really just fascinating to see. If you get a chance, it is very cool. It is very cool. It takes the entire year to literally take each tree and each set of decorations apart, take a look at them, make sure that everything's um, working right, everything's tied on correctly, everything's dusted down. They wrap it up, you know, uh, for the holiday so it doesn't get dust on it. And it takes a whole year to go through all those decorations. And my favorite part was, uh, do you remember that each each cast member is known um, as an elf, and they each have a very long workspace that is like about about a foot and a half, two feet wide by about 15, 16 feet long. There's these long workbenches where they can take a strand of lights, they can take a strand of garland, stretch it out, do all the work to it, and then you know, reassemble it back to, I just thought that, and they had a title for each elf and it was so cool. It is so cool. And then I tell you what, to be there when they set these things up overnight and to see them make their rounds, they try to do a a hotel per night and so forth and a park per night, but um, sometimes it takes multiple nights for a park, but they really, they really are to be respected for their craft and their ability. My number 10 takes us to the Tower of Terror. And I have spent a lot of time with that puppy um, on every imaginable level. It is a big building, although most of the building is actually, uh, contains the show. Um, That's what what is actually filling most of that space. I've actually been um, in the fifth dimension. I've been in that uh, hotel hallway where all the effects take place, where the glass is broken to see how that works. Again, a very simple effect, very similar to the Haunted Mansion, but eloquently done with attention to a lot of detail. Um, I have, um, um, I have uh, actually had the experience, and I don't think they allow anybody to do this anymore, but we actually went up to the very top of the top of the tower. So the motors that run 
those elevators reside at the very top of the building. If you notice that when the doors open, it is a 13-story drop, but you're only 130, about 130, 140 feet at that point. Um, the building is 199 feet. It was a foot um, taller. It would have to have um, airline, airport lights on it. Um, so it's just underneath that 200-foot uh, height requirement. At the top is where all those engines run. And you can see what a typical engine looks like, typical motor that runs the elevator, where if you choose not to ride it, the bypass elevator, just standard elevator. And then you see the ones for that drop you. And these are huge engines. And uh, they had to replace them a couple of years ago, which is an incredibly painful task because you've got to take cranes and take these heavy things out of the top of the hotel. And when I was there, they took us up. I can't believe we were allowed to do this. They took us up to the roof of the Tower of Terror on the very top. And I got to tell you, it was one of the most beautiful views. It was just high enough that you had this beautiful view of the studios on one side, Epcot, and the Epcot resorts and the lakes on the other. It was a beautiful view. They don't allow anybody to go up there anymore. Uh, I think including cast member. I think they sealed that. But um, but there were, and then the other experience I have to tell you is one time we had to uh, filming at night of the of the a bunch of things in the Tower of Terror for some programming I was doing, and um, and so I had the crew there, and when we got done, well, first of all we had to put a we had to lock down the camera in one of the elevators and actually ride it seven eight times in a row. And including recycling it. So you actually saw it go back into position. You didn't get off and get back on. We actually watched it recycle. Very, very cool, very eerie, very weird. And oh, by the way, uh, you are about ready to puke by the time you're, you've done eight, eight drop sequences in a row. Um, but my favorite part was afterwards uh, to do a break, we went into the, into the library and we had pizza. <laughs> on the library floor and just kind of uh, chilled out uh, finding a place to have a break. And uh, I have a lot of great memories from from spending time at the Tower of Terror. And the cast members there are phenomenal. Uh, they are That is a great attraction, about 80 computers to run that thing. Uh, it, is, it is truly a phenomenal attraction. Um, so at any rate, we've gone through our list to kind of sum this up. What are the take-home souvenirs uh, from this experience? We've talked about all these different backstage areas and what's magical and what kind of lets the magic go away and so forth once you see it and so forth. But here's some, here's some ideas, some takeaways for you to take back to your own business. Um, and and, this, and the, the, the metaphor I get is, well, number one, maintain the magic for your customers. Don't let them see the behind the scenes stuff. And sometimes it isn't like big utilidor spaces that maybe you have. Sometimes it's that conversation that you're having with a coworker that really shouldn't be held in front of the guest. You should maintain the, the magic for your guests and not have those kinds of backstage views or conversations or behaviors in front of the guests. Now to make that happen, number two, Provide a place 
for your employees to let their hair down. They need a backstage place. They need a place to go back and chill. I can't believe that I go to big box stores and find employees sitting in front of the store smoking a cigarette and taking their break. How would you feel if you saw Cinderella sitting there smoking a cigarette in front of the cast as they were coming into the match? Because you really shouldn't have any place to take a break. You know, you would never expect that. Why do you let your employees do that? You know, you invest in a beautiful retail space and then you go let your your employees just sit around outside taking a break. It, it, it's just so disappointing. Three, provide the resources to support the guest experience and to support the employees providing that guest experience behind the scenes. You know, the reason there are utilities, the reason why there are these backstage areas is to provide everything that you need to create a great onstage area. And so make sure you provide those resources. And four, make those facilities accessible to your employees. Uh, don't make them have to go out of their way to go get a drink of water or to take a break. Similar to the example I said with Animal Kingdom Cast Services. Make those facilities accessible. Um, and then finally, five, and we haven't talked a lot about this, message the culture in that space. Now these spaces that we've talked about, they are not thematic spaces. They're not themed, they're highly functional, but throughout those spaces, you see messages about the importance of safety, about Disney's four keys, about the importance of creating a guest, great guest experience. Uh, sometimes you'll see mirrors right before you go on stage to allow get, uh, cast members to check their appearance before they go on stage. And, and, uh, and, um, and there's a there used to be a little message saying neat and neat and pretty time for the show is something from the Mickey Mouse Club that used to be as a signage by this by the mirror. It's all your backstage areas should support culturally the kind of customer experience you're trying to to provide uh, on stage. And so remember to message the culture. So those are the five takeaways that can be applied even if you're not a theme park, if you're a hospital. If you're a call center, there are messages in this about how you want to approach your work so that you don't ruin the, the customer experience. One thing that we are going to do, you mentioned or heard Jeff mention these Disney at Work souvenirs. This is something that we're going to begin doing at the end of every podcast so that you always know at the end there is somewhere that you can go that you can uh, wait for to be able to find out some of those best in business practices and pieces of advice that Jeff can give you to put to work in your organization no matter how big or how small. So on the show notes page as well. Uh, at DisneyAtWork.com, we will also have those Disney at Work souvenirs listed. So if you forget them and you're in a place listening where you do not have the opportunity to write them down, you will always be able to go and find that information on that show notes page. Uh, we do encourage you to go visit DisneyAtWork.com for some of the articles that, that Jeff is continually posting as well as these show notes. We ask that you look into potentially following him on Facebook and on Twitter. And once again, if you go to iTunes when you're downloading our older episodes, if you'd take just a moment to rate or review the podcast as well, we would appreciate it. Be sure to stay tuned for our Disney at Work trivia moment. And we thank you so much for joining Jeff and I as we discuss our top 10 favorite places behind the scenes at Walt Disney World. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thanks so much. It is now time for the Disney at Work trivia question. 
On a previous episode, Jeff and I discussed new pricing initiatives that will be coming to both Disneyland and Walt Disney World. Specifically, a new pricing initiative coming to the Disneyland Resort in Anaheim, California would be an upgrade to the FastPass system, wherein guests would be able to pay for the ability to make reservations digitally for fast passes on their mobile devices upon entering the front gate of either Disneyland or Disney California Adventure. What is the name of this new fast pass system? If you think you know the answer, you can email us at podcast at disneyatwork.com and in the subject of your email, just type episode four trivia. Those that get the trivia question correct will be entered into a random drawing to win a free copy of Jeff's book, The Wonderful World of Customer Service at Disney. As always, we invite you to visit our show page on iTunes, where you can both rate the podcast as well as leave a review so others know your thoughts. And if you want to find out any of the links that we have discussed on today's show or the take-home souvenirs that Jeff gives you to be able to bring these best-in-business practices from Disney to your workplace... You can find those show notes at www.disneyatwork.com and click on the podcast tab. We thank you for joining us and we hope that you'll visit us again on our next episode.